we begin, we're going to read our second scripture passage um, together. And then um, during the message, we're going to be looking at the, the first passage. And in the Matthew passage that we're going to read, um, this is Jesus who is speaking. And as you can see, uh, he is very succinct. So let's read together. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. And may God bless our understanding and our living of this word that equips us for life. Amen. Um, as Laura shared her gratitude, I want to begin by sharing my gratitude um, and um, both of ours really for, really for the much-needed support um, that you gave um, us as our immediate family and the extended family last weekend. Um, thank you to our terrific staff who kicked in and covered um, I know that you all prayed and that Philip Betancourt um, asked for a moment of silence as well. Um, and I want to thank our deacons, Dave Stewart, um, who was preaching. Thankfully, fortunately, um, he was already scheduled to preach. And, and uh, it's weird how these things work. Um, and Davey did a fabulous job. I know I heard a lot of feedback, um, positive feedback. Julianne was supposed to be uh, uh, having the weekend off, um, and she heard the need, we asked, and she said, of course, I will be there. So thank you very much. And just to make sure that we're all on the same page, I um, just want to bring you up to, to speed in case you didn't hear what was happening. So last Friday afternoon, what happened was Laura got a call that our brother-in-law had gone missing. And by that point on Friday afternoon, uh, when we heard it had already been 32 hours, his car had been found by the police in a picnic area. And the police then searched Thursday night for many hours with a canine team that's all trained to find missing people up there in New Hampshire and there was no trace, no clues. His phone was either not working or turned off or the battery was dead or it was broken, so there was no signal, no tracking. It had already been widely posted by that point on social media and it was on the TV, news, um, all over the place in New Hampshire, seen by tens of thousands of people where they shared as part of the message of missing persons that he had been suffering from both depression and mental illness. So Laura and I heard what was going on. Um, I actually happened to be in a meeting at the, at the moment. I said, excuse me, heard what was going on and said, I'm sorry, gotta go right now. Got an emergency. So because it was in the area that was in, we packed up our hiking gear as fast as we could. We jumped in the car. Audra, our daughter, made a split decision also that she was going to go with us. Parker said he was going to head up later that night. Um, and we booked it as fast as we could to New Hampshire um, in Columbus Day traffic, which sometimes meant 10 miles an hour. So it took us a while to get up there. And the four days that followed were horrible. 
one of the most surreal and stressful and scary times of our life and confusing. It was so confusing because we couldn't get a handle on anything. Nothing made sense. Because not only was our brother-in-law missing, but he was at very, very high risk of harm. And to add to the psychological, emotional, medical, um, the temperature was also dropping at night and it was getting down into the mid to the low 30s. So if he was still alive at that point, the clock was ticking. And as you probably know, after 48 hours uh, when someone is missing, if you don't find that person within that time frame, the statistics get very ugly. And they even get more dim after 72 hours. So we're driving up there, and um, there's a lot of phone calls just going back and forth with, uh, with our brother-in-laws, with his, with his wife, Laura's sister, um, and all sorts of family members. Um, and we're trying to piece things together, and they don't make sense. And they don't make sense, part of the reason why is because of the mental illness. What you or I would do, a pattern that we would take, gets thrown out the window. So we're running a timeline. He left home at 7.30 in the morning on Thursday morning. He had a 9.30 appointment. Said he would be home by one. Never returned. At eight, by 8 p.m. that night, um, after the doctor was called earlier during the day, it's like, what happened? They got the call back at 8 p.m. that night. He never showed up for the appointment at 9.30 in the morning. And then at midnight that night, 16 hours into it, the police found his car, and it's parked in this off-road picnic area. It was parked in a weird way, and there was no struggle, no other clues at all. What happened? What happened? And I... I was actually running it over so many times in my mind, and this is a suggestion that I give to a lot of people, I finally had to write it down on a piece of paper. So it would just stop spinning, 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 spinning. Was he dead? Was he alive? Those were really the, the two main things, two possibilities. Either way, it's a crisis in a different way. If he's alive, did he wander off by, by accident, or was it on purpose? The way the car was parked, was, was he abducted? Looked like there was another car parked next to it. We got there late Friday night, first thing Saturday morning. Now we're into day three, we meet with the police. Uh, wildlife fishing game uh, up there, they do, they do a lot of searches for missing people in the wilderness. And they had done their search. It had already been 48 hours, they searched a half mile around the car in a perimeter, and we're looking at the map and the pattern and everything. Nine dogs, they had drones, and they came up with nothing. And the, the officer, uh, and then we ran into another officer who was there the whole time with the dogs, and they were very, very sympathetic. They were very kind. But in the end, by Saturday morning, they said, this is all we can do. They're done. 
They said, you know, it's a massive area to search. Who knows what could have happened? They said, you may just want to sit by and wait. He'll probably turn up at some point, one way or the other. And that was their advice. So we said, can we do, are we allowed to do our, our own search? Can we go to the area? And they said, sure, we're done. They did say, though, every person needs to be prepared because we were thinking about children's soccer teams. He was a soccer coach for decades. And he said, every person just needs to be prepared that they might find something that they don't want to see. It would be traumatic. So no youth soccer groups. So now it's in our hands. And so we're running through the questions and try to figure out what to do. What should we do? Well, that all depends on what happened, doesn't it? Did he go hiking? Did he get disoriented? Was he intentionally lost? Did he have a plan or was it spontaneous? Did he take any survival gear with him? No. Did he have a backpack? No, that was still in the car. Water bottle? No, that was still in the car. Money? Nope. Credit cards? We were tracking, no use. How far could he have traveled? We're thinking, well, if he was walking, he was a big hiker. He could, have, he could be 30 miles away by now. Did he have any means of self-harm? Didn't seem like that. How well did he know the area? So we asked for police for maps of the area, and they were wonderful, and they gave them to us, and we started studying them and looking at what is around. Where are the cliffs? Where are the bodies of water? Where are the potential hazards? Where are the potential safety areas? So we made a plan, we organized search teams, we divided into groups, we packed our gear, and off we went. 48 hours missing. We hiked possible trails. We hiked off trail. We were bushwhacking through forests, through swamps, through fields, around lakes and ponds. We made all the calls to all the friends and acquaintances, and, and we checked through and were calling any places that he might have gone to. And by the end of the day, with dozens of people hiking miles and miles, still no trace. Saturday night, end of the third day, now, temperatures dropping. We regrouped, we checked out a few camps that we knew that he knew, went from building to building. As the police said, there were more square miles than could possibly be covered. So now it's Sunday morning. 72 hours. Our plan takes a somewhat different tack. We learn that most people are found with tips. So we're gonna feed that. So we map out all the locations miles out to spread the words of where to post missing persons posters. He was already all over the place with social media, on TV, but not everybody looks at that. So maybe there are some hikers, some people filling up their car with gas, some people in the grocery store. So we designed 300 posters, 
and took them off, got them printed, got plastic sleeves to put them outside, got a bunch of staple guns, got thumbtacks, got tape. Here's a weird thing. You know what Staples does not carry? <laughs> Staples does not carry staples for stapling guns. <laughs> but they did donate half of the posters. So we, I know. So we put everything together. We assigned the groups, we split off, off we went knocking on doors, trailheads, gas stations, grocery stores, casting the net, and throughout all this, people are praying. It's Sunday morning, and I know that you folks are praying. We're praying as a family. Other churches I know are praying. And as the search grew, one of the calls that was made that day, day four, was from our brother-in-law's brother's wife, who's in Florida, someone who she knows lives up there in the area in New Hampshire, where he went missing. So she got her church to start praying, and then that friend from that church went to the site of the abandoned car. And as she put it, when she was there and she was praying, she said, I don't know, I had a thought. I had a thought pop into my mind. She also put it, she said, I felt like I was being guided by God. She got in her car and she drove a mile and a half down the road. She said, I drove right there to this out of season campsite that she knew of. And she saw an abandoned cab cabin and she said, I had a feeling there was no one around. By that point in the day, it was all dark on Sunday. She went up, she knocked on the door, no answer. So she opened up the door and she called inside, no answer. She went inside anyway, no lights on, and then she saw a body on the bunk without movement, no response. So she went up. She had never met her brother-in-law, so she only knew what he looked like from the pictures that had been posted. She got up close right to his face and she said his name and she saw his eyes start to flutter open with no food or water in four days. He had been found. He had been found. Laura said he went straight to the hospital and he's still getting help and it's going to be a long road. And now, to our scripture. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Was it a miracle that found him? Did God lead her there? 
She says absolutely yes. Was faith involved? And that we absolutely know 100% yes. Because of what faith is. Because everything that went on up until that point was like following textbook instructions. We often think about faith as being something that you believe in here. Something that you feel very fervently in your heart and soul. You, you feel it very deeply. But we look at both of these passages and the interesting thing, the fascinating thing, the amazing thing is what Jesus is describing here in both of these passages, Jesus is not talking about faith as a feeling. He's talking about, what is he talking about? Ask, seek, knock. These are verbs. He's talking about faith as as something that you do, as an action. Not something that, you know, I might consider trying that if I feel like it. I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. I'm not outgoing, really. I just like to pray. He says, no, ask, seek, knock. Do this. These are instructions, verbs. Every one of these words, if you think about it, every one of these things gets set into motion by the person who's doing the asking, seeking, knocking. And it's the direct opposite of, well, I guess God will take care of me. It's the opposite of the person who reels off all of the reasons, you know, all the reasons that absolutely that nothing that is suggested, no, that's not going to help. No, I don't think so. Tried that. Not going to work. Somebody said last week, I think it was Les Miller, he said, you know, some people, if they were drowning and somebody threw them a red lifesaver, they would say, I think I want a blue one. You know, three things that faith requires action, faith requires effort, faith requires initiative, deciding to get off the couch, deciding to make a change, maybe having to get directions of where you need to go. I don't know what to do. If you don't know what to do, if you don't know who to see, If you don't know where to go, you know what? Maybe a friend knows. And then take that first step to knock. And then take the next step and the next step. You know, if you look at the first passage, it's one of my my all-time favorites. It's called the parable of the unjust judge. And it's called that because if you read it, this judge is a nasty man. He's a bad man. The woman decides, in spite of that, he's my only option. i got to get to his house. Where's his house? She's got to find out. Is it far away? Maybe she needs to get directions. So she finds out, she makes a plan, she puts on her shoes, she walks there in the middle of the night, and she knocks. Right? 
And then it says she knocks again and she came back and back and back again and again. And you go, man, that hurts my knuckles. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to just keep knocking away. He's going to be really angry if he gets up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And to add to that, he's not a nice guy being angry. She screws up her courage anyway. What if he yells at me? He's absolutely going to yell at you. Are you kidding? He's going to be brutal. But she knocks again. What if he's not home? Knock anyway. What if it's a waste of my time? Knock anyway. What if I try before and if it didn't work? Keep knocking. Ask around. Seek, knock, persist. You know what? In almost every case where Jesus helped someone in the scriptures, the person who got help is the person who took the effort. The person who took the effort to make it to Jesus, to get there, to call out, to move their body. And some of them did this in extraordinary ways. There was that story, I don't know if you know the, the story of the woman, the, the woman with a flow of blood, and she used her power to access Jesus' power, to push through the crowd, to just touch the hem of his garment so she could be healed. The paralytic, well, he couldn't move at all. So what did he do? He got his friends to help. And they took tremendous effort to carry him to Jesus. And when they couldn't get there, because there was so many, such a crowd around, well, they carried him up to the roof of the house, and then they cut the hole in the roof, and then they dropped him down so that he could be healed. Zacchaeus, he climbed a sycamore tree. There's another paralytic who somehow got himself to a healing pool where Jesus was. Not one of those people were just sitting around waiting to be helped saying, I wish I could be better. Seeking also means taking an inventory of your resources. Who do you know, maybe who knows someone, who knows someone who maybe can help? Ask not, climb a tree. Climb a tree. Go in in the middle of the night if you need to, if that's what it takes. Cut a hole in the roof. Hike. Get help from friends. Get help from professionals. So action, effort, initiative, use of resources. Use the red one and the blue one. (laughs) Ah, Therapists aren't for me. Red one and the blue one. I don't think that people in Al-Anon are really my kind of people, you know. I tried one. I tried that medication, and it didn't make me feel good, so I I stopped. Faith requires us to be tenacious. Does the process feel good? Does it feel good to be asking and seeking and knocking? Does Does it make you feel warm and fuzzy inside? Do you feel confident in this process where you you don't know what to do next? Absolutely not. It feels horrible sometimes. Uncomfortable all the time. Awkward. Excuse me, sir. Sitting in your car at night in a dark picnic area. Have you seen this person? Awkward. 
But you know, the woman and the unjust, nasty judge, she just kept going and going and going until what? Jesus says, until she wore him out. She wore him down. And no doubt, she was worn down too. And Jesus said, and that is how you do faith. That is sometimes how you pray. That's how faith works. It works hard. And according to Jesus, that's also how you get things done with God. Faith acted, hiked, organized, phone called, stapled, drove, thought, strategized, packed, printed, stuffed, racked our brains, met, talked with some very strange people. And that's what faith does. And finally, the hard question. Here's the hard question. What if it wouldn't have worked? What would I be saying here today if we did all this stuff only to have a bad result? What then? If it wouldn't have worked, and it's never a guarantee, because what we do is called faith. It's not called certainty. If we did all that and came up with a bad result, which sometimes happens, we still would have done all that we could. There's a saying that goes, pray as if everything depends on God and do work as if everything depends on you. And then be at peace. And then be at peace. Because you know you've done all you can. And that, too, is how faith works. May God bless you in your rugged pursuits of life. Amen.